Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. And if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week, praying that God is working in your life and helping you to know His goodness. And I'm thankful that you're here. I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Kids, it's always good to see you here at church. This is the fifth Sunday, uh, so we're going to give our kids' uh, church volunteers a little bit of a break. So no kids' church today. And, and to be quite honest, I'm sitting here looking at many of the kids uh, who were here yesterday. And so you can be able to sit here and listen to me for about 30, 35 minutes because you put pies in my face all day yesterday. And I've got a video of the first, the first of many pies. Let's, let's watch the first one. Okay. <laughs> Now, she looked a little too excited about that. Then I don't know if you noticed, she put the pie on my face and then bent the frame around my face and really let me have it. And she wasn't the only one who did that, but several, several kids figured that out. But that, we had a fun, a fun day yesterday. Thank you uh, for those who were volunteering, who donated candy. We had over 5,300 pieces of candy donated to, uh, to the, to the uh, Fall Fest. Thank you all for that. Uh, thank you for the hours of work you put in yesterday, having fun with kids. Um, the guest, the pumpkin winner. So this is the pumpkin. It's full of candy corn and, and pumpkin corn and all this fun stuff. Um, my wife counted this, so it has to be accurate. Uh, she counted 980 pieces of candy in that pumpkin. And Abigail Eskew guessed 974 so very close so you can come get this after church is over all right sounds good super um one of the fun things i saw uh yesterday was us having it in the backyard there is our playground stayed busy the whole time too in fact i think some of the kids came just for the playground and uh and didn't really care too much about the candy and it really got me thinking you know Maybe our community needs to know that it's back there more often, and, and maybe we should put a sign out there to help introduce them to our church more and that kind of thing. So maybe in the spring we can look toward maybe utilizing our playground as, as a community thing a little bit better. I think that would be a good thing. Uh, our hope yesterday was that to give families in our community the best fall fest memory of the season yesterday, and I think that happened for many of our guests and, and many of our kids who are here, and so I'm thankful for that. I, it was a more relational event than a trunk or treat. Uh, a lot of the kids came back for the pie. Um, they putted, they practiced, they, their golf game got a lot better yesterday as they attempted to put a hole in one to put a, a pie in my face. But they were doing other, other booths too. They would go back and have fun and interact with our, our church members. And, and I just, again, thank you so much for the hard work that, that you all did for, for being there yesterday and for donating the candy and inviting uh, uh, friends and neighbors and and all that so um so since there's no kids church kids there are extra bulletins in the lobby other activity sheets uh and parents and grandparents if your kids get squirmy that's okay they're coming off the sugar from yesterday if they make noises that's fine i really do value having kids uh here in our church services uh but if they do become too much for you uh there there uh, are some tables and chairs the services out there on the tv if you want to 
to go out there if you feel the need to, but, um, but it's okay if they squirm. Uh, one other important note before we jump into our text this morning, I want to remind you that if you're a member to, uh, to be casting your vote uh, to call Lacey Connor as our next kids ministry director, uh, this year we invested nearly $120,000 the upstairs of this building and we created uh, dedicated ministry, ministry spaces for our kids ministry and for our student ministry. And if you were here last week, you heard from our student ministry director, Cooper Guy, about how God has been working over the past few months in our student ministry. It, it was overwhelming. Uh, it is overwhelming what God is doing uh, with our students. Uh, and now kids ministry and student ministry, they're very different. The footprint of the remodel upstairs gives much more space to our kids' ministry than it does to our students. Uh, I love both our kids and our student ministries, but strategically, I firmly believe that a thriving kids' ministry strengthens the whole church. I've always believed that, and this is why there's more square footage upstairs devoted to our kids' ministry upstairs. This is one of the reasons why we spent so much time and energy over the summer with our outdoor movie nights, why we spent so much time with our foam Easter egg hunt, and yesterday with our community fall fest and why I was happy and joyful getting pied dozens of times yesterday just to, to engage the kids because a thriving kids ministry strengthens the whole church. We have an amazing group of volunteers who have fully staffed and have staffed the kids ministry volunteer roles. I'm very thankful for each and every one of them and I trust that they will continue in their ministry to kids and I do believe that Lacey uh, our candidate will make a great kids ministry director as she will help support the volunteers, will love our kids, give some administrative strengths to all aspects of our kids ministry, and much more. And so if you haven't received your ballot, again, this is for our members. You can pick up one at the welcome desk and then fill it out, drop it in the black box that's at the welcome desk there as well. So, all right, so let's get into the Word of God. We're going to continue our series this morning in First Timothy. This is gospel-centered godliness, being the church in the community. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. And as we study this letter of 1 Timothy, I've been trying to keep our focus on the call to godliness that is throughout this letter. It's mentioned at least 10 times. We're seeing that this call to godliness for Timothy, for church pastors, and for church members is for the sake of the gospel. It's a call to the church and its leaders to live and worship in a way that proclaims the gospel to the church, that is, each other, and to the community around us. It's, it's always important to note that this call to godliness is a response to our salvation. It's never a cause of it. You and I cannot work our way to God. It's not the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. That's the gospel. We are saved to do good works to live godly lives, and to share our faith with others. Let's look with me at 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against the elder, an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they may, 
so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Will you pray with me in response to what we just read? God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the instructions you have on dealing with pastors in the church. You are good to us. We thank you for this morning of worship together. We look forward to hearing from your word in more detail. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at gospel-centered care for the pastors of the local church. Now this is going to be a little weird for me, honestly, because it may seem like I'm preaching to be a little bit self-serving, and that's not my intention. This passage is one that you all live out very well. I am preaching it. I am preaching this morning to the choir, and I'm, I was tempted to skip over it, but I didn't because it's in the Bible and it's important for us, and it's good for us to hear, even when we do well with things like like Scripture. Again, you all are doing well in this already. This passage does give me an opportunity to say thank you for the many ways uh, you have shown your love and appreciation for me, not only in the month of October, but through the past year and a half. Thank you for loving and caring for me as your pastor. Now, the term pastor is often translated in the New Testament as shepherd. It can be both a noun and a verb. And as your senior pastor, I function as the spiritual leader of our church. My duties largely include preaching, teaching, praying, and leading all the aspects of the church. It's joyful work for me. You are a wonderful church to serve in this role. But not every church is that way from what I hear. But you guys are, so I'm thankful that God has connected our paths together. Paul uses his term elder here in 1 Timothy to refer to men like me who are in the position that I am. Elder and pastor are synonymous. Leadership in the church begins with the pastor. This morning we're going to be looking at the ESV translation and also the New Living translation. From time to time I'll do this. Uh, usually I preach from the ESV. Uh, the ESV has a word-for-word uh, -word translation philosophy. The New Living translation has a meaning-for-meaning -meaning translation philosophy. And so as you study the Bible, I would encourage you to study both, both translations. Uh, one may give you questions, the other may help answer those questions, and in fact, that's what I found this, in this passage. In my study this week, I found that the ESV raised some questions, and I, in the English, I would say, what does that really mean? And then I'd look at the New Living Translation, and it would help define what it meant. And, uh, and so this morning, we're going to be looking at both. Uh, we'll look at the ESV first, and then the New Living Translation will follow. Both will be upon the uh, screen behind me. So let's look at... Uh, verses 17 through 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. 
and the laborer deserves his wages. That's the ESV. The New Living Translation says it this way. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who deserve their pay. Those who work deserve their pay. Pastors who preach and teach should be considered worthy of double honor according to the ESV. The New Living Translation helps us to understand what this double honor is. The New Living Translation says that elders, pastors who do their work well, should be respected and paid well. Double honor, in your notes, means respect and compensation. So how do you define respect? It's a word that's often misused. It's misdefined as equating to acceptance, much like love is in our modern understanding of that word. When someone is demanding respect from others, they're often, they're often asking for blind acceptance of whatever behavior they offer. That's not what's meant here. Respect has much more to do with holding the office of elder or pastor in high regard, realizing that his role is different than any other role or job in the church. When there is respect for the office of pastor and the person who is in that office, God is glorified because God is the one who has called and equipped that man to be in that role, in that office. Compensation is what you think it is. Elders who lead in the church by preaching and teaching should be paid. And I'm thankful for the way that you all provide for me and my family. I have no complaints at all. This double honor of respect and compensation has a condition. In your notes, double honor is only for those who do their work well. Pastors who don't do their work well should not expect the same treatment as those who do well. This is similar to the respect for the office. When a pastor doesn't do his job well, he is not respecting the office or the call that God has for him. Let's look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The New Living Translation says it this way. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. I've said to you many times that much of the work that I do as your pastor is protecting work. I went through the letter of Jude with you to let you know that there's false teachers all around, and especially online, that are out to lead you away from the truth. A pastor is a shepherd. A pastor cares for his church as a shepherd cares for the flock. A pastor cares for the church by feeding them the truth that's found in the Bible and protecting them against false teachers that are wolves in sheep's clothing. It can be messy work. This protective work can be messy. So in your notes, don't be surprised when someone accuses the pastor. Don't be surprised when someone accuses the pastor. You shouldn't be surprised when someone accuses me of something when I'm doing that protecting work. Oftentimes, accusations like that um, will look like I am against whatever I am protecting you from. Let me give you a bit of clarity when accusations come. I am always against a false teacher, always. 
I am always against a false teacher, especially one who claims to be a pastor and is clearly preaching against Scripture. And even more when they've built an online platform to spread their false teaching into the homes of people in our church. I am always against a false teacher. I am never against someone who is struggling through a sin issue. Every one of us struggle through sin issues. We're not perfect. When I call out sin, when I say something is sinful, or when Scripture tells us that something is sinful, it's never an attack on a non-Christian or a Christian who is struggling through that sin. I am speaking truth to the lies that we believe and oftentimes cherish. I am never against someone who is struggling through a sin issue. As you can imagine, calling sin out will rifle feathers, ruffle feathers from time to time. If a pastor won't do that, who will? If the man who's been called and equipped by God to read and study the Bible, to discern what it's saying, and to share it with a culture that spends little to no time with the Bible, if he won't call out sin, who will? It's a battle, this life of being a Christian, being a church in a community. It's a battle, so don't be surprised when someone accuses a pastor. The leaves have started falling, and if you know where I live, that means I've got a lot of work to do. I spent at least six hours outside in my yard just this weekend using my leaf vacuum, and, and this morning it doesn't look, look like I did anything. My next couple of months are going to be like this. Every weekend I'll be doing that, but I do enjoy my time on my, leaf, on my mower with my leaf vacuum because as I do this, this is the best time for me to read books or listen to books. And this weekend I, I listened to a book called Fight for Your Pastor by Peter Orr. And I would highly recommend this book to you, especially if you sense the need to support the church and its ministry as the community or as the culture continues to move away from truth, common sense, and general kindness. In fact, I'll be giving our 2024 deacon team this book. It's a short read, so don't worry. Um, but I trust that as you uh, read this book, you'll see the importance of the church living out what we're discussing this morning in 1 Timothy. The book, again, is called Fight for Your Pastor by Peter Orr. We are in a battle. Don't be surprised when someone accuses a pastor. But in your notes, don't listen to an accusation unless it's confirmed by multiple people. Because the pastor is often on the front lines of the spiritual battle that happens, many accusations will come. Most won't be worth listening to, but especially when those are relating to the, uh, of calling out sin. But a pastor is flawed. A pastor is not immune to being incorrect in his teaching or his behavior. And that's where the next two verses come in. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. The ESV says it this way, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. 
doing nothing from impartiality. The New Living Translation says it this way, those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Pastors are not perfect. We have personality styles that might be different than yours, and that can naturally ca cause friction if it's not managed well. We may teach things that are not clear or not understandable, but we are also sinful people who are redeemed. If a pastor sins against you, go to him privately, like in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 says this, and we'll just look at the ESV for this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to the church, listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The proper way to deal with sin is this way in Matthew 18. This passage is the proper way for, for us to handle sin inside the church. This passage should be the manner all church sin issues that are, are handled that don't break criminal law. If there's sin issues that break criminal law, we should have the authorities be a part of that process because we are under their authority. This is not, this is not talking about criminal acts. But this is the proper way for us to handle sin issues inside the church. It's biblical. First, go to one another privately. If there's no resolution after that, then bring one or two others who have witnessed the sin. If still no resolution, then bring it to the church. Note verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now this verse is often quoted out of context to mean something that it doesn't mean. Verse 20 has everything to do with God's special presence in the church seeking unity in discipline. It has nothing to do with God's special presence in gathering of Christians for worship. Context matters, and this passage in Matthew 18 is an essential passage to help a church live through the struggle of sin inside the church, whether it be from the pastor or from each other. In your notes, calling out sin is, in another is never meant to slander him, but to warn others inside the church. Calling out sin in another is never meant to slander him, but to warn others in the church. Calling out sin publicly, if it has to get that far, is important. Yet it's dangerous. Because there's a certain amount of judgment when you get to the point of bringing a sin to the church. The Gospel of Matthew also helps us here. Let's look at Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Judge not 
that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and you, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We judge. Christians judge the behaviors of other Christians. We must do so with great caution, and we must do so with the Bible, the Bible alone. Now, one way to limit the harm that, of the sin of pastors in the church is to slowly and carefully appoint new pastors. Let's look at 1 Timothy 5, 22-25. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also our good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The New Living Translation says this, Never be in a hurry about pointing and appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to life. We shouldn't, as a church, get in a hurry to appoint a new church leader, because if we get it wrong then we, at some level, participate in the sins of that new leader. Some sins are obvious. Others are hidden. This, again, is true for both church leaders and church members. Because of this, we should be slow in appointing new leaders. Paul uses good works in a similar way. Some good works are obvious, while others are hidden. Many times, you won't see all the good work done by church leaders. I guess, I would guess most church members don't fully know what a pastor does day in and day out. But that's kind of the way it's meant to be. There is humility placed in the life of a pastor. He shouldn't put on display all that he does for or to the church. That prevents pride from growing. There are some things... He knows about situations or people that he just can't share with others. At the proper time, all of it will come to light. And that proper time will probably, probably be in the next life. Again, I'm speaking to the choir this morning. You are a wonderful church to pastor, and I'm thankful for you. This morning, we've spent a lot of time and energy on the role of pastor and how to, how to provide gospel-centered care for him, to provide for him, to protect him, to carefully correct him and slowly appoint others like him. The care that you extend to the pastor is an expression of the gospel. It's a picture of God's care for each of us. 
Perhaps you need to know the provision that God has for you. Maybe you need to understand the protection that God gives you. Possibly you need to understand that there's sin in your life that you need to repent from, turn from, and turn to God. Perhaps you need to consider what the cost of following Jesus really is. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. And throughout this series, I've been pointing our attention to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Jesus, you will die. And this is not just the death in this life. We all die that death. But without Jesus, you'll be separated from all that is good and loving for a future forever. That's the death that sin brings. Separation from God and goodness. But God gives you grace in the free gift of Jesus. In Jesus, you will have life forever, even after your death in this world. Life forever awaits those who follow Jesus and allow him to be the Lord and center of their life. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you submit to his authority over your life? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus or how to live your life like you're a Christian, this is a time for you to come forward and pray. You could come and speak to me. Are you following Jesus? Does your life look like it? Will you stand as we pray? God, we thank you for your word to us. The difficult things that it says about sin in our lives that we may not want to face. But there's good news here. That Jesus makes us clean. He makes us right with you. And we celebrate Jesus. Celebrate the work that he does in our lives. And I pray this morning for those who need to understand that better. Would you clear that up in their minds? Your love for them. Your call for them to follow you as Lord. You are good. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.